Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice in Mequon, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining me this evening. Let's start out with a word of prayer. Father God, we just come before you now, Lord. I pray that you would touch each person listening tonight, Lord God, and uh, anything that they might be dealing with in their own lives and their hearts, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are a God of comfort. We thank you, God, that You help us with the issues of life, Lord God, and as tonight we discussed um, areas of anxiety and fear, Lord, I just pray that uh, if there's anyone listening tonight, God, who's wrestling with these issues, God, you would just bring peace to their hearts and soundness to their minds, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that um, as we focus on you, Lord, you align our thoughts with yours, Lord God, and uh, that your perfect love casts out all fear. So I just pray that tonight, Lord God, for um, all who are with us and joining us. And we just ask now, God, for uh, your words to be spoken, your healing words, Lord, to go forward uh, tonight in this next half hour. We just ask all these things in your glorious and holy name. Amen. So tonight we're going to be looking at part one of a two-part series on fear and anxiety and how scripture addresses these areas in our lives. We'll be looking at identifying normal and exaggerated fears and discover typical responses to fears. We'll also look at understanding fear and trust as they're presented through the pages of Scripture, and we'll look at practical steps that will allow us to defeat fear through faith. I also will suggest some modifications that you can make in your own life that will help build a hedge of of faith against recurring anxiety and fear um, in your heart and in your mind. So we'll give you some some tips on that as well. So let's start tonight by looking at definitions of fear, anxiety, and worry. So fear can be defined as the emotion of alarm in reaction to a perceived danger or a threat. The danger may be real such as the shadow of a burglar or a rapidly approaching car, or it may be imaginary, such as a shutter creaking in the breeze or, let's say, a scary scene in a movie. But the perception is real and defined in the case of fear. Anxiety, however, is more general, and it's more of a long-term feeling of uneasiness and a vague perception of a threat that won't go away. It maintains the body on a continuous low level of alert, which is not necessarily a good thing. Uh, Fear brings on a rush of adrenaline, 
but anxiety is sort of like the slow drip of adrenaline. When alertness is called for, the ready-to-act anxiety can provide energy, but over the long haul, it puts a strain on both our mind and our body through the different chemicals and hormones that are released uh, when we're in a state of hypervigilance or in a state of high alert. So anxiety can come from either the perception of an outside threat or from an inner conflict, and I'll give you some examples. What I mean by this is in terms of uh, inner conflict, a man may feel anxiety when he passes a place he associates with painful memories of rejection, and he might be conflicted over the sight of that place. So that can act as a trigger, for example, within him. Um, An outward threat would be if you sense something that is in your presence that wants to harm you um, or that you feel unsafe around, that can produce a general sense of extrinsic anxiety, meaning coming from an external source. So um, with those two defined, we look then at worry. And worry is not an emotion, at least not in my opinion. It's more of a mental action of bringing up conflicts or fears and mulling them over and contemplating worst-case scenarios. So this reaction to anxiety only serves to increase that anxiety. It's really an unproductive form of problem-solving because it's the kind of thing that can't be changed or avoided by wishing it to be so. So I want to look now clinically at a phenomenon called panic attacks or panic disorder. A panic attack is closely related to feelings of anxiety, and when they occur, the person's anxiety is intensified by the thought that he or she might die or feel like they're going crazy. So it's kind of a catch-22 situation and a self-perpetuating cycle. Um, As a person's anxiety ramps up, uh, thoughts of what that anxiety is going to produce causes them to become more anxious. And so you kind of have this upward spiral of anxiety. Some characteristics and symptoms of a panic attack that manifest physically can be heart palpitations, um, rapid heartbeats, sometimes breathing difficulties or the inability to take a deep breath or get enough air, weakness in the legs or a need to sit down, nausea or stomach problems, lightheadedness, dizziness, a feeling that about you're about to faint, um, chest pains, and a fear of having a heart attack, and also feelings of doom. So you can see that there's a lot of physical manifestations of um, the anxiety that leads up into a panic attack. So in some cases, breathing exercises and muscle relaxation techniques can help a person cope with panic attacks. However, they may need to be treated by a mental health professional depending on the circumstances. Some medications are effective in reducing anxiety as well, but some of these same medications can also become addictive. Um, Anxiety does respond particularly well to particular types of psychotherapy, uh, specifically cognitive behavioral, which relates back to scripture, which says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. A lot of anxiety can be controlled uh, through changing your thought processes. And we'll talk more about that later. 
I'd like to mention now um, some common fears. And some of these are expected and natural fears that we might face or have faced at some point in our lives. Um, from research and reading that I've done, um, human beings are only born with two natural fears. So as a baby, the two natural fears are a fear of falling and a fear of loud noises. Those are what we're born with. Everything else in terms of fear is learned. Um, so if it's learned, it means it can be unlearned, and that's the good news. Um, so to give you some uh, examples of some fears that people face um, that are common, number one, potential disasters. Um, right now, at this time, we have uh, Hurricane Michael um, that's about to hit the Gulf Coast. So when storms come up, um, just, um, you know, any type of uh, maybe a financial disaster or a medical health crisis, you know, it's natural to have fear around um, these types of situations. And these are legitimate fears of negative things that can happen just through the trials of life. Uh, number two would be a fear of losing control. This is really a fear of becoming vulnerable, and it's usually covered up by controlling. So if a person fears uh, being vulnerable, they typically will compensate or overcompensate for that fear by trying to control the situations they're in, often to an extreme extent and at the expense sometimes of relationships. Um, number three is a fear of revealing who you really are. Many people are afraid to be seen for their true selves. So shame over past experiences um, can cause someone to put up a false self, and there might be a deep-seated fear that if someone really knows who they are and sees them for themselves, that, that they won't be accepted or that they'll be rejected. So shame really is a, a very difficult issue to work with in a lot of people because it goes to identity. It really wraps itself around how you see yourself. And even though it's lie-based, um, typically shame is something that's very difficult to extricate. Um, when you have guilt, guilt says, I did something wrong, where shame says, I am wrong, or I'm defective or flawed in some way. So there is a definite fear in many people of being truly seen for who they are and still being accepted. Um, number four is the fear of disappointing people or not meeting up to expectations of others. And this, as a result, turns into a need to continually try to please others to avoid being abandoned or rejected. And as you can see, that really can trap you into a cycle of performance orientation, um, constantly trying to win the approval of others. This is similar to approval addiction and people-pleasing, and it's extremely unhealthy. Um, number five is a fear of being rejected. We talked a little about that. Past rejections and the fear of being rejected make a person feel that they're at the mercy of others. Um, there's also something called preemptive rejection, which is a case where someone who's been severely rejected um, and really lives in bondage to fear of being rejected, they will actually reject someone else first so that that person can't reject them because it's easier for them to be the one doing the rejecting. Um, number six is a fear of facing the past, whether they're 
might be past traumatic memories or PTSD. Um, some of those things can hinder a person's ability to pursue future goals. And um, number seven is a fear of achieving success and a fear of, of failure. It's kind of two sides of the same coin, um, and it's really an exaggerated sensitivity to the opinions of other people. It also involves some deeper issues that we don't have time to get into, but typically a fear of success and also a fear of failure uh, root in self-sabotage uh, because underlying all of that is a sense that a person really does not deserve good things or a person really does not deserve success. So those are two ways um, that, uh, that kind of prevent a person from becoming all who they're meant to be in Christ. Um, and number eight is a fear of making decisions. Sometimes we attach too much weight and, and consequence to choices that we're considering, especially small issues that don't have a lot of heavy importance. So feelings of inadequacy regarding coping skills can feed into this fear of making simple decisions. There are some people that just decide not to decide, and um, they have trouble even with the smallest decisions, such as where to go to dinner, for example. Um, underlying that is sometimes the fear of making the wrong choice. But again, these are preference issues. These aren't issues that necessarily um, have monumental consequences. Um, so those are kind of eight general and also typical fears that we tend to have just as human beings. Um, and these aren't necessarily pathological by any means. However, they, they are areas that, that the Lord can heal us in. So let me say a word now about anxiety disorders. First of all, we all experience anxiety, but when anxiety is frequent and intense, it may indicate a clinically diagnosable and treatable disorder. And this disorder, which currently affects 20 to 30 million Americans, um, is obviously prevalent and is one that is not typically dealt with in the best possible ways. And what I mean by that is if you go into a, a, a general practitioner or a doctor of some kind and tell him or her that you're anxious, Sometimes the first uh, course of response is to be put on um, an anti-anxiety anti medication or a sedative. And these meds can be um, dangerous in the long term because they can become addictive. So that's not usually the best course of action or the best practice right up front. The best practice, in my opinion, is to get to the root of each issue and to find out what's causing the anxiety. Anxiety is a symptom of something else going on beneath the surface. So some responses to anxiety are the following, which I'll, I'll share with you. And responses can range from mild to moderate to severe. So it's relatively normal, although not always helpful, for people to respond to anxiety with behaviors like trying to control others or becoming perfectionistic um, or even outbursts of anger or withdrawal. So these are unhealthy responses to anxiety. In many cases, anxiety can lead to depression. That's why so often you hear anxiety and depression paired together because oftentimes you, you have one along with the other. Um, also, fear or anxiety can at times increase to the point of creating 
serious distortions in a person's perception of reality. So in other words, the way that you see life can become distorted because of underlying underlying anxiety. And when your perception is distorted, that means that you're not seeing truth as clearly as you could be. So again, there it, it leaves room for deception to sneak in. So in some of these cases, this is not something that can be handled on your own. Um, you can uh, never have shame in seeking help for issues like these. And in, in many cases, it's, it's very much of a necessity. Um, in terms of what the Word of God has to say about the issues of anxiety and fear and worry in our lives, there are so many helpful scriptures. Um, we don't even have time to go over them all in this this broadcast, but um, the phrase in scripture, fear not, is, I believe, repeated 365 times. So literally one for every day of the year. That's how strongly fear is addressed in scripture and how much uh, the Lord wants us to have victory over this area and freedom from bondage to fear. Um, so let's take a look right now at fear and anxiety as they are expressed um, in the Bible. Um, you can't go very far in Scripture without encountering the subject of fear. As I just mentioned, it's 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 over. Uh, it's mentioned about 365 times. So from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture is full of examples, stories, and wisdom regarding fear. And over and over, God calls us to trust Him and place our hope for our lives and our peace in his hands. So let's look, for example, at Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve uh, threw open the door to sin, fear rushed in right along with it in the garden. So before they sinned, they had known intimate and uh, open communication with God. It says in Genesis that they walked with God in the cool of the evening, and they had access to the Lord, and lived in really a, a perfect utopia. Uh, but when they tried to take their lives and destinies out of God's hands by making a decision against his will, they immediately felt vulnerable, naked, ashamed, and unprotected. Uh, they felt fearful, and so they hid from God. So this gives us valuable insight into our problems with fear and anxiety. Fear can be simple, legitimate, and unrelated to our sinful nature, of course, but we can also expect that significant ongoing problems with fear can be complicated by the basic fall of mankind in the garden because that's initially where fear originated. So though we uh, greatly fear rejection and isolation, we tend to isolate ourselves from God's help after we feel we've made a mistake. And that's, um, Again, going back to the garden, when they realized what they had done, they, they were ashamed and they hid. So we also tend to hide um, when we're enslaved by fear. And when freedom is to be found in the light of God's presence, uh, we tend to try to solve our own problems by self-reliance instead of running to God. We see him as a last resort when really we need to see him as our first resort. So our fears can multiply through fearing God's judgment or discipline, and thereby we close ourselves off from his restoration at times uh, because we don't realize that he extends to us so much grace and grace upon grace. 
he also tells us in his word that there is therefore condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's you and me. We don't have condemnation after we've made a mistake or sinned. There will be conviction and repentance, but the accuser of our soul, the enemy, Satan, he brings condemnation. And condemnation fully brings death, uh, whether it's to our spirit man or emotionally. You cannot thrive under a spirit of condemnation. But you can live, grow, and thrive um, under God's grace because grace supplies uh, what we need to be able to move forward. So let's look at the children of Israel as another example. Um, The children of Israel emerged from slavery to become a new and free nation under Moses. I'm sure we're all familiar with the story. Uh, They were very accustomed to the fear that powerlessness brought them. As they faced their enemies on the path to the promised land, God called them to put aside fear and have faith in his powerful intervention on their behalf. Exodus 14:13 says, "Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today." And Deuteronomy 3:22 says, "Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you." Joshua 10:8 says, "Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand." So fear then is evidence that we don't really expect God to intervene in our lives to accomplish his purposes and meet our needs. And in order to keep conquering fear, our lives need confidence in God. We must replace the spirit of timidity with confidence. And that's seen in 2 Timothy 1.7 where it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And Paul suggests power as a substitute for fear. It's the Greek word dunamis. Uh, dunamis is power or strength, and it's where we get our English word dynamite. Um, as it pertains to love in this verse, where he says he gives us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, the love that he's referring to in this verse is agape love, and it's the unconditional love that focuses on others rather than on ourselves. And a sound mind is self-discipline, that draws upon moderation and good judgment. So, again, the Apostle Paul is telling us that we don't need to submit to a spirit of fear, but because God has already given us a spirit of power of love and a sound mind. So anxiety may stem from unconscious feelings, but worry is actually an act of choosing an ineffective method of coping with life. So worry implies the absence of trust in God. And since scripture instructs us not to worry, this lack of trust in God can certainly be a detriment to living God's best for us. And worry can be likened to rocking in a rocking chair. You expend a lot of energy, but you go nowhere. It's kind of the same thing with worry because there's a saying that that expresses 90% of what you worry about doesn't happen. So then there are some people that say, well, I need to worry 90% of the time so bad things won't happen. Well, that isn't really the meaning of that phrase. What it's implying is that worry is based um, in a root of fear, and it won't do us any good because we can't change what the future holds 
when um, it has to do with external circumstances. So to fret or to worry about it is not going to change the situation. And moreover, it's going to cause problems for our emotional, mental, and even physical health. So let's continue now to look at scriptural examples of how the Bible addresses fear and anxiety. King David. David the king, the poet, and the man after God's own heart was very acquainted with fear and anxiety. During the years he spent on the run from Saul, he learned through pain to turn to God for reassurance. He, he teaches us that danger must drive us to God, not from God. He also teaches us to release the power of our emotions towards God. And in Psalm 18, 2 through 3, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. God is my rock in whom I take my refuge. I call to the Lord, and I am saved from my enemies. So David knew that his hope and his escape from that fear when he was running from Saul was found in, in running to God. And I have to stress that the importance of that. We need to go towards God at all times, even when we feel that we've messed up or when we feel that he's disappointed in us. We always need to go towards him. The danger starts when we start to run from him. That sets us on the wrong path. And once we're on the wrong path, it's very easy to wander away and be caught up in things of the world and the lies that the enemy would tell us. So no matter what you're facing, I just encourage you to go to God with it. Don't worry that he's going to shame you. He's incapable of shaming you. He is waiting for you with with arms open wide to love you, to show you grace, to help you, give you wisdom with whatever you're facing. So before we look at how Isaiah as another example, dealt with fear and anxiety. Let's just return quickly to a couple of the Psalms that David wrote, which deal with this issue. Psalm 23, as we're very familiar with, uh, in verses one through four, I'm sorry, one and four states that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Psalm 27.1 says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalm 91.1 and 4, it states, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. So all of these verses can help us and bring us comfort when we're feeling fearful. And just as an example, when you're in fear or anxiety, turn to the concordance for your Bible and just take a run through of all of the verses that that use the word fear and look them up and you'll find so much comfort and reassurance in doing that. Um, And it's just a simple thing that you can do very quickly to fill yourself with the truth of God's word and to help calm your spirit. Um, Let's look now at the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prepared the people of God for the most fearful of times, which was the approaching years that would bring destruction of the nation of their captivity in Babylon. In the midst of this storm, they would need to cling to God's reassurance of his love for them, or they would risk being swept away by fear. So once again, we see this this contradiction of fear as juxtaposed with love. 
perfect love casts out all fear. Isaiah 41.13 tells us, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. And Isaiah 43.1, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. Isaiah 44.2 says, This is what the Lord says to you. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, that too will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant who I have chosen. So again, when we're seeing and reading these verses about fear, we're hearing over and over again, do not fear not, do not be in fear, do not be afraid. So God reiterates multiple times that we are not to be in fear. And also, interestingly, as a, as a related side note, um, when, when angels would appear to men, uh, and the, as recorded in Scripture, typically the first word the angel would say would be fear not, because there would be this tendency on the part of man being confronted with an angelic holy being to be in fear and not understand. So again, fear is a powerful force, but love is more powerful, and that's what we want to focus on. Uh, Corey Tenboom, the Nazi concentration camp survivor that many of us are familiar with, she made an interesting point on worry, and I will quote her here. She says that worry is a cycle of inefficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And I just think that that is a very thought-provoking verse. When we spend time worrying, we're literally draining our day and our lives of strength instead of building ourselves up to face the day. So the book of Proverbs teaches us to overcome fear with the reverential fear of the Lord and only the reverential fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14.26 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. Psalm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 119.23 tells us, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Our Lord Jesus to us to leave us a legacy of peace. It says in John 14.27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So these are Christ's words, and they're words of strong reassurance. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 5:36 also says, "Do not be afraid, just believe." Mark 6 verse 50 says, "Take courage, it is I," meaning Jesus. Don't be afraid. So every time you're going to see these admonitions, and they aren't suggestions, by the way, they're they're God's commands. He's commanding us to not be afraid. Nowhere in the, in the word does he tell us to fear, except when it pertains to a reverential fear of God's holiness. And by that I mean not a phobic fear, but a reverence, an awestruck feeling, and that is called a reverential fear of the Lord, which is necessary for us to have um, because he is the object of our worship. So, um, again, from Second Timothy 1, 7, as I just read, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, 
and of sound mind. So rather than drowning in fear, we need to stand firm and affirm by faith that God's spirit, when he is given freedom in our hearts, produces remarkable results and changes in our character. Matthew 6 also addresses the issue of worry and fear. Jesus thought worry was an important enough topic that he addressed it in his Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he said in Matthew 6, verse 25. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? So we can tell just from this brief phrase that worry is unreasonable. Worry is also unnatural. In verses 26 through 28, he says, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly father feeds them. Worry is also unhealthy. Verse 27 says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And worry is also unnecessary. Verse 30 says, will he not clothe you? So a realistic attitude can make a difference in terms of overcoming fear and worry. The way we perceive life influences our ability to cope with adversity. The expectation is that our future will be characterized by peace and contentment. That's a healthy expectation for, um, uh, for our future. But if we review the past, for most of us, it probably shows us that problems have been the norm and smooth sailing has been the exception. So we kind of have to relearn how to view our future with an expectation of good versus an expectation of, uh, of negative things happening to us. So some of Job, in the book of Job, some of his accusers observed um, in chapter 5, verse 7, that man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. So that's a very uh, you know, apt metaphor when it talks about the fact that we as believers will face trials and tribulations on this earth. And Scripture talks about that as well as in the New, in the New Testament. Um, what's important to know here is that through these trials, we can learn how to mature in Christ. So they are really an important part of God's process to bring us to maturity. We don't need to despise the journey that he has us on to make us more Christ-like. Is it fun and is it pleasant? No, usually the tougher lessons aren't. But we do gain from them, and we really don't grow in, on the mountaintop in the same way that we grow when we're really in the valley. So instead of despising the trial that we're going through, we need to ask God, okay, Lord, what is it that you want me to learn from this? How can I grow and grow closer to you because of this? That really needs to be our focus. So when we come to realize and accept this, we'll be less inclined to panic when the next problem occurs. Then we can say to ourselves, this is the next item on God's agenda to produce growth in me. And I don't mean that to sound trite or cliche or or, um, uncaring, but God truly only allows issues to cross his desk and reach us if they come with great purpose. If God's going to allow a trial in our life, it has come with great purpose. And we need to find out what that purpose is and yield to him and ask him to help us learn what he wants us to learn. So because of life's adversities, worrying is something that we all find ourselves doing from time to time. 
but for some, it becomes a way of life in which worst-case scenarios are continually anticipated and feared, and that's so unhealthy. Chuck Swindoll addresses this issue as he says, we all know what worry is. It's when we pay the interest on trouble before the bills come due. And that's really so true. As someone once put it, worry is like a thin stream of fear trickling down through our mind. And if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And I think that's particularly interesting when it comes to neurophysiology of the brain because on the first broadcast uh, or or, um, the first month of broadcast that I've done here on Reaching Out Radio, we talked about depression and how thinking negative thoughts and ruminating on negativity can actually produce a, a neurochemical rut in the brain which then causes other thoughts that are negative to to be easier um, to find that rut. And so we tend to repeat those same negative thinking patterns. Well, the same is true with worry and anxiety. The more that you worry and the more anxious you are, the easier it is to worry and be anxious because neurons that fire together wire together, as I said before. So we want to make sure that we're thinking about what we're thinking about and keeping those thoughts Uh, taking those thoughts captive into obedience to Christ. So let's close uh, tonight by looking at the Apostle Paul's steps for peace. And I'll just quickly explain to you Philippians 4, 6 through 9, and what it says in regards to peace. It talks about not being anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, presenting our requests to God. And it encourages us to focus our minds on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, and of good report, to think about these things. And when we do so, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will fill our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So once again, having victory over fear, worry, and anxiety, and getting set free really from their bondages comes back to what we think about. So make sure that you continue to monitor your thoughts and keep thinking about what you're thinking about. I want to thank you for listening tonight. That's all the time that we have. I hope that you'll join me again in two weeks for our next broadcast. And if you would like to contact me directly at Healing Word, my private practice, please feel free to call 414-254-9862. Or visit my website at www.healing-word.com. Thank you very much, and God's richest blessing. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.